to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick. And as always, we like to talk about things related to resiliency, business continuity, disaster planning, emergency response, crisis management, and so many other relatable fields that touch on those subjects. As always, if there is a specific topic you'd like us to talk about on the show, please go to the Voice of America page for the show. There is a button you can click and send me a note um, with your topic idea, and uh, we'll see about getting someone on the show to talk about it, or we'll see about getting you on the show. I do get all messages, and I do respond to everything. Today's show is brought to us by the people at BoastAssessment.com. That's B-O-A-S-T, assessment.com, where they have a self-evaluation tool. You can manage your uh, resilience program progress weekly, monthly, or yearly and uh, help save you some costs. And uh, though I haven't seen a formal announcement, there's a good chance I'll probably be attending the next Continuity and Resilience Today conference in Toronto Um, which I'm sure will probably be uh, around the same time frame as the last couple, so in May 2020, and uh, hopefully we'll see you there. Now, speaking about the Continuity Resilience Today conference, longtime listeners, you'll know that I attended uh, the CRT conference in May 2019 this year, and we've had many of the speakers on the show. Today is no different. We have another presenter here today, and I'd like to welcome to the show Ed Matley. Ed, welcome to the show. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for having me on. Now, your topic was investing in a framework for organizational resilience, which obviously is a perfect fit for the show. But before we get started on that, can you tell us a little bit about yourself so our listeners know uh, you know, what you do and what some of your experience in organizational resiliency is? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so uh, it's Ed Matley. I'm a partner with PricewaterhouseCoopers based in Vancouver in beautiful British Columbia. I lead a business continuity practice in Canada. been involved in you know, BCM and resilience type work since uh, 1998, so that was sort of prior to Y2K, and I take only a small amount of credit for humanity's avoidance of that uh, global catastrophe. <laughs> we've done a lot of work in this space all around sort of risk management, emergency management in the public sector. Uh, you know, the main focus on business continuity management and, you know, disaster recovery and really, you know, trying to focus most recently on the integration of those disciplines. And, we're, you know, we're really looking to uh, work with our clients on, you know, organizational resilience, its definition, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's application and really sort of looking at the benefits. So, um, well, I've, sort of background. I've got one, one quick question for you. How did you get started in the business continuity, resilience, disaster planning uh, realm? You know, I think like most people, I, I, was, I was told to do it. 
So you know, there's not a lot of people that, that you know grow up wanting to be a uh, you know business continuity professional. Uh, you know, for me, it really was. Like, my background was more around like IT, so technology. Um, you know, I, I did my degree in kind of computer science, and then I did my CPA when I was in the UK, and then I'd moved to Australia. And in '98, a lot of companies were sort of starting to panic around Y2K. And so it was all hands on deck for us. Right? Like it, was, it, was, it was anybody that could that could help out. We we were really focused on delivering you know very quick solutions for clients. Like they they were leaving it late. They didn't have a lot on their plate. You know, so we were doing a lot of like exercises with clients, sort of trying to get them ready that way using like agile approaches. And so it really was just you know who we got that that can help out with some of the, these client deliverables. But for me, like, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed working with clients to you know, understand what was critical for them, you know, what were the things mm-hmm. that, that were required to keep the lights on, and then sort of seeing them work through, especially the exercising component. For me, that's really where you know, an organization builds its capacity for response or builds its resilience is by doing these exercises, by going through the process of uh, you know, responding to a to a uh, you know an incident or a or, or a crisis in a relatively safe environment, and it's that experiential learning. It's people learning on the job, failing. Um, you know, that, that really sort of helps them to do it better next time. And I just I really enjoy the work. Yeah, I always find it interesting. Those of us that have been around for a long time, almost all of us say, uh, fell into it or got told to do it. <laughs> it's yeah, it's really yeah, interesting how many of us have <laughs> to. Yeah, there's, there's not a lot of university programs, right? There's not a lot of, of um, programs that sort of lead into it. And most people, when you look at the, the practitioners, BCM practitioners within organizations, you know, it's the second or the third career within that organization. So it tends mm. to be a lot of people's kind of last. <laughs> I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that, you know, like, <laughs> like people do when they when they find BCM as a, or, or the, this, these resilience disciplines as a, as a as a as a practice, they sort of really tend to gravitate towards them, right? I mean, I know for me personally, I feel like it's a it's a profession which uh, you know where a lot of people really care. I mean, people yeah. care about yeah. the, the the protection of the people. They care about the protection of their organizations. There's a there's a there's a, there's a discipline. There's a lot of good. Sharing even between organizations which are, you know, from a market standpoint, competitors. And, you know, the people people are willing to share with each other what leading practices are, and, and so from that standpoint, the community feels like it's a really positive and um, you know supportive kind of community, and I think people gravitate towards it. Yes, I agree with you. So let's jump into your presentation that you gave at the CRT conference in Toronto. And uh, I, I mentioned the title, I'll repeat it, Investing in a Framework for Organizational Resilience. Now, my first question is, how do you define organizational resilience? And part B to that is, why do we have a problem nailing down the definition of organizational resilience? So I think, you know, like how, how I define it, and you're going to ask that, that's that question because obviously my presentation led with the fact that we don't do a good job of it, um, is that it really is, if I'm to put it down into just a couple of words, for me it is adaptive capacity. So if you see a lot of the diff, well, to answer the second part of your of your question, why do we struggle? I think there's a lot of resilience. As a word is sort of poorly defined. It means a lot of things to a lot of different people. 
And when you think about applying it in a professional standpoint, like a, 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 a company standpoint, like an organization, it's very difficult to divorce it from what we think of as in terms of our own personal resilience versus what we think of as our, like, you know, our communities and climate resilience and all of those kinds of words. And I feel like people maybe shouldn't necessarily try to divorce those things too much and that we should look at them more as an integrated whole. But what mm-hmm. we do then have is we have a number of different standard-setting bodies that do, that, that um, talk about things differently, or they don't can't land on a on a on a single kind of um, definition. So we've got the ISO that has their own definition through to the standard two three three one six. We have the the BSI, the British Standards Institute, that has sixty five thousand and their own sort of definition. Uh, another organisation that I follow quite closely is one called Resolves, which are based in New Zealand. Um, it's a sort of an academic group to do a lot of uh, research, and you know they they had some really really good case studies with the earthquakes that they had down there. So, and again, a lot of slightly different, um, like pure definitions. But what they do all have in common is to talk about like adaptive capacity, whether that is you know the the ability to to uh, you know respond to a disruption, or more broadly the the ability to be able to handle shocks and changes. And I think mean, that, that really is the focus for me. Yeah, I've noticed, you know, depending on who I talk to, even on the show, there even different industries have a different way of describing resilience. Do you come across that as well? Like because, because in the nature of what you do, I, I'm sure you deal with different clients in different industries. And... Yeah, we do. So... At the moment, the, the hottest industry from a you know, capital R resilience perspective is financial services. So, and they talk about operational resilience, which mm-hmm. you know, isn't the same as organizational resilience. And again, potentially it leads to confusion for anybody that's not you know, up to their elbows in it, uh, like we would be. So for them, operational resilience is a, is a, is a discipline that's focused on strangely enough, like maintaining operations to be able to essentially serve the customers. A lot of this was driven, I mean, it's 10 years ago now, but was driven by you know, uh, the financial crisis and some pretty big failures in the UK. World Bank Scotland was, was a big one. They had a very large sort of outage, uh, massive impact, not just on the bank itself and on their customers, but broader on the financial system in the UK. And so they, through some, some regulation and some guidance, have moved to trying to get the, the financial um, you know, firms in the UK to be, in inverted commas, operationally resilient. And so there's a focus there on making sure that they understand what their services are um, and that they understand what the assets are that support those services and that those services can continue to operate even during you know, significant disruption. It's, it is a move away from the, you know, the pure business continuity kind mm-hmm. of thinking where you know, there's, a, there's a big issue and then we respond to that. Um, and it is pushing more upfront within the organization and within the cycles to try and make the, those services themselves resilient, which I think is definitely a step in the right direction. Um, and it's the area that seems to definitely get the most uh, focus right now that I'm seeing. You know, we're actually getting regulators who are involved, and so they're starting to set um, to, you know, dis- disciplines and practices, and they're asking you know, some pointy questions of some of those firms in the UK. But that in and of it, itself isn't, 
organizational resilience, right? The organize that the, the, the driver for for operational resilience in the UK is around making sure that customers can continue to be serviced. It doesn't really care as much around whether or not your organization can continue to operate over the longer term. So it really it's really focused on making sure you can keep the lights on, as opposed mm-hmm. to thinking more broadly around. You know, is can your organization can continue to adapt and survive uh, over the over the longer term? You you mentioned uh, you know it's kind of a, a different approach than business continuity, which is kind of a. Uh, I know I know I'm going to get emails about this, but <laughs> a kind of a responsive <laughs> approach. So is organizational resilience more of a proactive risk mitigation approach? For me, organizational resilience is a, is, a, is a step sort of even further back, right? It's a, it's a step up more than that. It's, it's around not only looking at, like, the ability to, to keep the lights on as your organization, you know, like to, to respond to sort of in-the-moment in the sort of threats and challenges, um, but more broadly around, you know, how do you make your organization more provided with more longevity. So, you know, if you look at organizations, we used to have you know, corporations and organizations that would last for, for you know decades and hundreds of years, mm-hmm. um, and, and now organizations sort of fail pretty pretty rapidly. And we can argue in some cases that that might not be a bad thing, but there are certain organizations that we don't want that to happen. And so, I think it's more it's, it is more broadly about. How can you make sure that you you know don't become the next Thomas Cook or, or somebody like that? Right. So, does so the, the does Thomas Cook failure was not a business continuity failure, right? Like it wasn't that there was like a particular shock or a particular incident that that happened right. that, that resulted in that corporate failure. It's, it, it was a, a you know a lot of things. What. Does risk mitigation or risk management come into it at all? Because that's from that perspective, you're identifying things and then trying to, you know, incorporate different strategies and protocols in place so that you do keep the lights on to to use your phrase. You know, so is it a stronger look at that risk approach? So the I mean sure. So I mean the the you know the the punchline of my um of my presentation was around Sort of using enterprise risk management as a as a discipline to help move the practice of organizational resilience kind of forward. Mm. I feel like ERM enterprise risk management, as it as it was articulated by sort of COZO and those frameworks, kind of hasn't really led up to all that it, that we really hoped that it would be. And I think that's what triggered COZO releasing the, the new standard a couple of years ago, or just over a year ago actually. Um, so I think as a discipline, it's, it sort of struggles. I feel like one of the key things about making an organization more resilient, though, is about, you know, having a much greater degree of coordination between various different disciplines. So there's a lot of, you know, requirement to be sort of strategically aligned and about having effective governance and effective people, um, a lot of those kind of governance-type disciplines. But then the the majority of where I think that we can add value or where organizational resilience as a discipline can add value is around the alignment of the various different disciplines within an organization that, that do sort of manage risk. 
So whether that be like asset management or it's business continuity management, crisis management, emergency management, third-party risk management, um, you know, facilities management, you have all of these management type of disciplines. Then mm-hmm. all of those disciplines do some element of risk management. You know, they, they only have a certain amount of resources that they have at their dispo- disposal. So to, to get the best value from those resources, they have to take a risk-based approach at doing mm-hmm. that. And to do that, you need to have a, you know, a common framework. And I feel like a lot of, when I, when I deal with a lot of organizations, uh, sort of bigger ones especially, can, can tend to become quite siloed within those disciplines. And, you know, what constitutes a, you know, a high-priority area for one might not be a high-priority area for another. I feel like if we are if we're all sort of pulling in the right direction or pulling in the same direction, then mm-hmm. that's one of the areas that, that um, organizational resilience and the discipline can really, uh, you know, help to provide value. Well, I'm glad you mentioned silos because as you were speaking, I was thinking exactly that and I was going to ask you about it. You know, it, that it kind of uh, organizational resiliency uh, hopefully will break down some of those silos and make them a little bit more transparent to work together, Right. Yeah, it, it's not you know breaking them down. I feel like uh, although that 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 is um, that would be optimal, I, I I feel like it's it would be very difficult mm-hmm. right? in, in a lot of like corporate cultures, especially once you get over a certain over a certain sort of magnitude or a certain size of organization. Um, you know, as we move to maybe like a more network based approach, that that might change. But certainly, most of the organizations that I deal with right now do have an organizational structure, right? Like there are, there are areas of accountability that are assigned to different parts of the organization. And then there are people that are assigned that accountability and then given the responsibility of building a business structure to deliver on those accountabilities. And so you have these reporting lines. Um, and, and when that happens, there is a, you know, there's a very real just pragmatic reason as to why those groups kind of work together. What I feel mm-hmm. like we can do better, though, is facilitate the communication and alignment of those groups. So I think the boundaries will probably still stay there, um, but, but, but that doesn't necessarily mean they can't communicate or can't align. And I feel like that's the area that, yeah. that, that we can really help. Yeah, I know from my own experience, I've been <laughs> one company in different departments even if it's the same thing, like project management as an example, they'll each do it differently and they can't figure out why they don't work together. <laughs> you know? yep. so, so I totally understand where you're coming from. So we've come to the end of our first segment. Today we are talking with Ed Matley about investing in a framework for organizational resilience, and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? 
Definitely not. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Edward Cheney. Ed will explain full-spectrum CBD, where the whole hemp plant can be used for treatment, and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. If you are a pet owner, you know there's a special connection between us and our pets. They are part of the family. The owners of special breeds also understand the important roles they play. Tune in for Greyhounds Make Great Pets to find out more about one special breed. Hosted by Rory and Kathy Goray, along with TJ Beter, we'll focus on greyhounds, but we'll also cover topics that apply to any pet owner, like animal welfare issues, racing, and more. Listen live Fridays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. Moving forward can be difficult to do sometimes. There is always something going on. Many times, nobody else knows exactly what you're going through. If you are experiencing pain or loss, even something unexplained that is missing in your life, you'll want to tune into Go For It with host Joe Hausman. Joe and her guests will show you laughter and love. Sometimes you just need something a little positive in your week. Make that spot Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. Today we are talking with Ed Matley from PwC and his presentation at the CRT conference this year in uh, Toronto, investing in a framework for organizational resilience. Ed, great first segment, lots of information there. Um, there are, Believe it or not, there are still people out there that wonder about organiza- organizational resilience. So why does org resilience matter? So I think Almost that, a loaded question. what we're trying to do, you know, so what we're trying to really do there, I feel, is to... Well, why does it matter more now, um, maybe than it used to? I think well, things have changed a lot. But if you think about, it, like, a, from a broader standpoint, about you know the the environment within which we operate, and I'm talking about like you know climate crisis and things like that, it's created a, a, a more rapid pace of change that organisations need to be able to respond to. So, so, so things are changing a lot more quickly uh, than they ever used to. 
And if you think about the way that our organizations are, are structured, then it's also changed. Um, you know, the, mm-hmm. the interdependence of, of organizations has, uh, has really sort of made a, a big difference to the way that companies operate and, you know, has a lot of benefits in, in, in many ways. But it's also created a lot of additional risk. If you think about things like the, even just the technology, so the, the extent to which we're reliant on technology. I remember, you know, BCM as a discipline really came out of, you know, IT disaster recovery. And IT yep. disaster recovery really came from, you know, the people that, uh, that operated IT systems being fully aware that, that, uh, you know, things can and do go really wrong. <laughs> and, you know, from a user of, a, of an IT system, side of the screen, it might all look really good, but there's an awful lot of complexity that's going on behind it, and there's a lot of, there's an awful lot of things that can go wrong in there. So having that, you know, having that plan for what to do, um, you know, is, is important. And I feel like as we've moved through from, yeah, it's just like, you know, <laughs> keeping the keeping the lights on to, to then being like business continuity, which is around, you know, making sure that it's not just that the lights are on, but that there's somebody home. Um, mm-hmm. So then moving more into organizational resilience. It's, a, it's about this ongoing development of, of, of understanding those complexities and the, and the need to have structures or plans in place to be able to handle it. Now, what about, because you kind of uh, talked about it a little bit at, uh, in our first segment about different silos, you know, working together. Is it also a way to kind of um, make systems or, or processes, you know, um, leaner, you know, more transparent and easier to, to manage and more, you know, effective? Yeah, 100%. So I, I feel like that's, that's another kind of, you know, potential. So, so one of the things is I mean, by taking a, a sort of broader cross cross enterprise or cross enterprise and you know uh, uh, organization perspective, we can encourage a lot more like dialogue. But, but certainly, I found that some of the best sessions that I've had when we're trying to solve business problems is where we have people that come and bring different perspectives to that to solving that problem. That's so where we have different people from across the organization can take their own lens. You know, they come to that, uh, that, that session with their own background and experience and credentials and their own view on the world. And, you know, the more that we can encourage those multidisciplinary type um, uh, discussions, you know, the, the better, in inverted commas, solutions that you'll get to those business problems. Right, so, so from my standpoint, like in our in our world, you know, we we have yeah. uh, people that are really good. You know, from we have like accounting and audit type of people. We have tax people. We have a variety of different sort of consulting groups. And when we come together to solve a problem, you know, if, if like like I don't understand all of the tax implications of of an organization making certain decisions, but some of our tax folks like really do, and the the value that that can add is is incredible. And it's the same if you're thinking about like an operational issue. If you've got somebody that's coming from it with a, a systems-based background, somebody that's coming with it from a risk background, somebody that's coming you know with a process type of background, a data and analytics background, like if you have all of those different lenses uh, sort of trained on trying to solve a particular pro- pro- problem, I feel like the, the, the solutions that you get are just that much more effective. 
So, so definitely there can be a, a benefit just in terms of you know, optimization of existing business processes, making them more efficient, and then I just feel like connecting the people and their, and their perspectives is, a, is another really you know, uh, a high benefit to an organization. So that that kind of an approach can also benefit your business continuity plans, right? Because you'd have different people um, looking at a one single problem, but with different perspectives, you could come up with different ways of um, a manual workaround or you know something that could be implemented that wouldn't have been thought of before. Well, ab- I mean, absolutely. We already see that, right? Like, I don't, I don't know that that. Um, organizational resilience, there's really anything that's like brand new, right? You know, there are a lot of the different things that have already been in place. When we look at business continuity as a discipline, especially those organizations that in my mind sort of do it well. If you have an organization where as opposed to building like a magnificent edifice of of a centralized BCM program, but where you have a program that is very much focused on uh, you're building the capability within the various different business units of an organization. And a program like that has already been bringing together people of, of sort of different backgrounds, especially if you're doing like good exercises, you're doing integrated exercises across disciplines. Definitely some of the best examples of exercises I've seen has been where those people come together, right? You see, you'll have an organization and they'll de- develop plans and they'll develop plans within their silos or develop plans within their teams. And you can do a desktop review of a plan and you, you, you'll find some things and, and some areas for opportunity. Because when you, when you take those plans that have been developed in isolation, when you pull them together into a, a you know, combined exercise, that's where you really have these people that are cross-disciplines sort of being able to spot the flaws or the faults in, uh, in, in things where, you know, where, where either where there's duplication or overlap or where things fall down the cracks. And that's where all the value comes. So I feel like mm-hmm. as, a, as, a, as, a BC, as a good BCM practitioners, I feel like we've already done a pretty good job in the main of, of facilitating discussion around, you know, continuity and potentially resilience already. It's really just, you know, how do we continue to move that forward how do we continue to get sort of greater integration where we're not just thinking about what to do when things go wrong, but we're starting to do things like how can we do things better when everything's going right? Right. Now, you touched on a couple of things here with uh, the benefits of resilience. So what are the visible uh, outcomes and benefits of resilience? Can you take that a step farther? That, you know, What does it do for an organization beyond um, just dealing with crises or, or uh, interruptions? Yeah, so I think, so this is around making sure, so from my standpoint, it's a lot about, you can think about these things that are like internal benefits and then sort of external benefits. From an external standpoint, what you really want to focus on here is around sort of clients, customers, whoever, whoever it is that is a user of the services of your organization. And how do we make sure that we can continue to, you know, meet, anticipate and meet their needs? Are the organizations that are going to be most resilient are the ones that have, in my mind, that, that sort of greatest um, understanding and alignment of, of who their customers are, about what those customers need today, about what those customers are likely to need tomorrow, and about how to best deliver that. 
So, so that would be one of those, you know, ought to be a measurable benefit of an organizational resilience kind of initiative is around that sort of, uh, you know, alignment with, with those needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, also sort of needs of, you know, other, uh, other third party type organizations about sort of being dependable. So where you have these, uh, greater integration. So, you know, you think about like outsourcing of, of different functions, whether that be IT, HR, uh, any of those kind of things, or where you have uh, more complex business relationships that occur uh, to deliver to deliver a service. Like if you can have, uh, you know, if you can be more reliable in terms of being able to, you know, deliver on your promises, um, then then that will also sort of enhance your organization's resilience, both from its, uh, you know, the trust that it builds with other third parties and then, you know, the, the, the nature of the relationship that you have with them, that then will also, you know, facilitate that building of your ability to be able to deliver to your customers. And then even just for those organizations that are sort of publicly listed or traded, from their standpoint, being able to continue, you know, to be seen to be delivering on um, on your promises and to be resilient, it sort of eliminates or reduces a lot of risk from an investor standpoint and then should enable your organization to have uh, greater and lower cost access to capital, which will then also hopefully uh, you know, lead to, that, to that, that ability to, you know, to continue to be resilient. So those, those are kind of the external things for me. And then some mm-hmm. of the internal things it is around sort of you know, your people it's about making sure that um, you know that people your people are engaged. You know, we we have a, a, an increasingly highly uh, mobile workforce. In, from my standpoint, at least, uh, you know, when I see fragility in organisations, it's often as a result of them having, you know, uh, some built institutional knowledge. Uh, that they've not done a good job of, of sort of maintaining and keeping, and you know some of those people when they retire and they leave these great big holes, uh, you know, in an organisation. So it's around you know continuing to have um, uh, integration and and engagement of your employees. Um, that, that also really helps to, to make sure that your organisation is going to continue to operate um, sort of in the longer term, and about having everybody, all of those people, not just engaged but then also aligned. So making sure that there is a really good alignment between your organization and a good understanding about what your organization is trying to achieve, how it's going to try to achieve it, and then how making sure that your people understand what their role is in that and then how they contribute to that overall resilience. I think, you know, those are all really important factors of, of any kind of organizational resilience discipline or initiative. So it, you kind of create trust, don't you? Internally and externally, for people wanting to do yeah. business with you, and if you're already with the business, stay with the business. One hundred percent. Yeah, that, that is a really, really important. Like building trust, um, you know, within our structures, both you know between uh, sort of individuals, but then also between the people and their organization, and then trust between those organizations and their communities is. The, the, the sort of very good way to put it in terms of like a you know a single um, like a single word of what we're trying to get at right building trust mm-hmm. sure. so uh, well, here's a, a situation for you let's say I have a company and I come to you 
and I want to create uh, an organizational you know, resilience program or start on that path, you know, who needs to be a part of that? Do I just go off on my own and do something or you know, who needs to be involved? <laughs> One of the biggest challenges I see right now, um, uh, it, like in terms of building organizational resilience programs with clients, so so you know we we have people, we have clients that that have that have given individuals with roles now that talk about resilience. Right, we used to have a business continuity manager. Often, we're now sort of people have like resilience in their title, whether it's business resilience, or enterprise resilience, or organizational resilience. That title is getting used. And we go and speak to those people about, like, what does that mean? Like, oh, that's, this is, I always get super excited about that. Like, oh, you know, I'm looking on LinkedIn and somebody's changed their title and it's got resilience in it. Then I'm all over it. I'm like, oh, that's great. There's a new resilience. So like, what are you doing? What is it you're actually doing? And then be, quite a lot of the answers are, well, you know, I'm not entirely certain yet. <laughs> you know, we're, we're working on that. <laughs> and I feel like a, a, a big part of that is, as we talked about earlier about sort of silos, like the, there are, there are very few individuals in an organization that would be kind of overall responsible or accountable for resilience. It's definitely like a shared, a shared um, sort of requirement or a, or understanding. It's typically like you're only going to be a leader. Right? Like if you think about it, your like organization, like your CEO or whoever is the top person in your organization would be the one that would be overall accountable to making sure that that organization continues to function. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I do increasingly think that the board, as they get more exposure to, uh, you know, governance, and as BCM as a discipline gets more exposure to a board and a greater understanding about the role that it can play in a, in a, in a board's, you know, fulfilling their fiduciary duties about sort of managing risk, they were increasingly seeing that, right, that there would be a, a board mandate to make sure that 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 the organisation that they are that they are serving, um, you know, is resilient, right? That, that the 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 assets of the the people, the stakeholders that they are representing, you know, there is an element of the, the the need for that business to be a you know a going concern or to to to, to be uh, sort of resilient. So I feel like there's, a, there's definitely a greater understanding coming up boards with their governance roles around resilience. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that in my mind, like CEO is, is where it all sort of resides, but there's definitely a shared accountability across across the organization uh, for, for making sure that all components of it are resilient. And it's no different really to, to what we've seen with, with uh, business continuity. You know, the continuity insights, um, a survey that they put out every couple of years, you know, you always see in there that one of the questions is around, you know, where does BCM sit within your organization? And it's all over the yeah, shop. Yeah. You know, it's either within risk or it's within ops or it's within IT or it's within finance, like, like really all over the place. And I don't feel like there is a right answer for it. There's no, there's no one size fits all answer to that question. It really just depends on the culture of your organization more than anything else. But then, you know, like where, what makes the most sense and for all organizations is going to be different. And I feel like as things coalesce around organizational resilience, we'll probably see much of the same. I'm glad you said that because I've had the same thoughts over the last while that there isn't one single place because of 
each organization is different. Their their culture is, as you said, you know, is I, I guess is going to help define the best spot and how that's going to come together, right? Yeah, absolutely. And really, Great. you just want you want you're going to need somebody as a sponsor, right? You're going to need somebody that is prepared to stick their hand up and say, you know what, like I care about this. This is something that our organization needs to take on, and. Although I, I I can't own the program, there's not going to be like somebody that owns the whole thing. But there's going to need to be a champion to take it mm-hmm. forward. I feel like you know the, the BCI. One of the reasons that I really like the the manifesto that they put out a couple of years ago now was just that they, they kind of wanted to do a similar thing uh, as a as a professional uh, body that has been you know. It, one of the leaders, certainly in the discipline of business continuity, for for a long time, um, you know, they they kind of stuck their hand up and said, "Well, we resilience, organizational resilience, is something that's much broader than than our mandate, and, and we really need to be seem to be bringing together uh, practitioners of a variety of dis- different disciplines." So, mm-hmm. I really uh, I, I really got engaged with that manifesto. Now, you know, we can argue about how much we've actually seen since then. Um, but I definitely liked what they were saying, and I, f- I feel like it's going to be the same for a lot of companies. Yeah. Okay, and on that, we have come to the end of our second segment. We are talking with Ed Matley today, uh, investing in a framework for organizational resilience, and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? Definitely not. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Edward Cheney. Ed will explain full-spectrum CBD, where the whole hemp plant can be used for treatment, and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. If you are a pet owner, you know there's a special connection between us and our pets. They are part of the family. The owners of special breeds also understand the important roles they play. Tune in for Greyhounds Make Great Pets to find out more about one special breed. Hosted by Rory and Kathy Goray, along with TJ Beter, we'll focus on greyhounds, but we'll also cover topics that apply to any pet owner, like animal welfare issues, racing, and more. Listen live Fridays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. Moving forward can be difficult to do sometimes. There is always something going on. Many times, nobody else knows exactly what you're going through. If you are experiencing pain or loss, even something unexplained that is missing in your life, you'll want to tune into Go For It with host Joe Hausman. Joe and her guests will show you laughter and love. Sometimes you just need something a little positive in your week. Make that spot Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. 
Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. And welcome back to the show. We are talking today with Ed Matley from PwC. And we're talking about his presentation at the CRT conference, Investing in a Framework for Organizational Resilience. In our last segment here, um, Ed, I'm going to jump right into one of the main questions here. What is a framework, your organizational framework? Can you explain that to us? Yeah, so so we, we talked a little bit about, you know, where do things reside and about, like, ownership and things like that. Um, one of the challenges that I've seen a lot of clients uh, sort of have as they try to move things within an organizational resilience direction is that, you know, that people only have so much of their scope and, uh, you know, for political reasons, sometimes, um, you know, when they try to, uh, you know, incorporate broader areas of resilience in a, in a program that they're responsible for, that, you know, sometimes people can get shut down. So from, you know, from a political standpoint and things like that, 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 that people are seen to be strident when they start talking about some of these organizational resilience type of initiatives. For me, one of the ways to combat that, uh, one, you know, one of them we touched on a little bit, which is around making sure that whoever the most senior person is in your organization, that they're on board and that they can help to, to, to keep things moving and break down some of those, some of those issues for you. Uh, but another one is then using uh, an external or a third-party framework for you to, to to build your program around, what that enables you to do is to not. So it's not my framework. Right? I'm not saying that we should be doing this stuff. Um, you know that there is a there is a third party um, framework that's out there that, that that gives us some guidance around the things that we should be doing. And as long as we're all sort of on board with uh, with aligning with that framework, then that can help to diffuse some of those situations. So what do the frameworks have? Well, there's a, there's a few, well, there's too many frameworks. We touched on that a little bit up, up, up top. But certainly the three that I'd highlighted in my presentation were the framework around the ISO. So we uh, we do see a lot of, you know, I, I personally feel like the the release of the ISO standard 22301 in the BCM space was um, was really beneficial. And, you know, working with the clients that we have that, some of them that have sort of you know global global reach, by having a single framework, uh, an ISO framework that we could align with, has been we've definitely seen some benefits. Challenges with the with the you know the, the framework itself or with the standard itself, and there's you know new version that's that's uh, at or around coming out right now, but just having that international framework has been uh, very beneficial. So there's ISO two two three one six. Um, is the, the standard for organizational resilience. There's a British standard as well, 65,000. 
Um, this was interesting in that one of the things that's happened in the past is that when when ISO has adopted a particular standard, that uh, the, that the BSI has retired their own standard and kind of aligned with the international standard. That hasn't That's yet right. happened with organizational resilience. So, um, you know, there's interesting <laughs> potential story behind that that I'm afraid I don't have anything to share, but, but I'd like to understand why, why that was the case. And then another framework, and, and a framework that I feel is a lot more practical, sort of usable for smaller organizations that maybe don't typically align with, you know, British or, or, or international standards or American standards um, is a framework that was released by an organization called Resolve. I touched on them a little bit at the beginning. Um, um, and they have a, a framework that was built on their empirical research um, that I think is, is quite understandable and sort of manageable. And by, you know, the objective then of having those frameworks is really to, to give structure to the work that you do. And by you know, using the framework, you can, A, identify um, areas that uh, that you, you know, sort of lagging behind. So it enables you to do like a self-assessment, say, where are we against the framework? It mm-hmm. gives you some guidance around, you know, wh- what you should do next. So how are we going to move towards, um, uh, you know, greater alignment? Like where, what are the areas that we, that, that we can move forward? And, you know, if it's a good framework, then, you know, it, it enables you to make sure that you have balance in terms of where you're applying your resources. So by, by you know, broadly being able to have coverage across the entire sort of spectrum of organizational resilience, and that, you know, even though you might have an area where you are, you know, in inverted commas, weaker, um, that there are areas where you are stronger and that being able to see those and then being able to leverage those uh, is another benefit, right? That you, you know, you have a common understanding of of where you're going as an organisation. Because this isn't a short-term fix, right? Like resilience isn't something that you can that you can you know achieve. It's not something where we can say, oh, you know, we've 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 started our organisational resilience program and we're two years in and we've we've done it. Like we've we finally got there. You know, we're resilient. Yeah. It's a it's a relative term. So, so it's you know going to be a constant journey, and I, I feel like having a having a framework really sort of helps you to, uh, to to stay on track. Yeah, you can't just tick a couple of checkboxes and say, "There we go, we're, we've we've met these uh, five checkboxes. We're now <laughs> resilient." No, that's not the way it works. Ta-da! Yeah, no, no. <laughs> You mentioned that uh, framework, um, New Zealand. You know, I didn't quite catch the name. Re- result, Re- result. What, what was it? Resorgs. They're actually called so, like resilient organisations. So Resorgs. Resorgs.org.nz is the uh, is the website that I would refer them to. Okay. I just wanted to catch that in case uh, listeners want to uh, you know investigate that one. Should Should I put you on the spot yeah. and ask you which is your favourite? <laughs> so, so, so I will give you my consultant answer. Uh, that depends. <laughs> so, it, so it really, it really does d- depend on who you're working with. So, you know, for an organisation that that has that it has adopted or has aligned with with a, a bunch of other international standards, mm-hmm. then I would say that go with go with ISO, uh, because. Um, you know, you should have some of the, you know, the plan, do, check, act, management type disciplines in place, and then you can just sort of layer this on. And I, f- I feel like that, 
almost gets you part of the way towards what we're talking about here around resilience, right? If, if those standards, and I know that the ISO as an organization I actually sit on the mirror committee for, for Canada for one of the technical groups. Um, and I know that ISO as an organization is looking at how can they have greater alignment and integration with their own standards, right? They're, they're, they're applying the concepts of organizational resilience to themselves, uh, which is great. Um, so, so, so that one I think is, is, would be a good choice for anybody that's ISO dependent. I find that 65,000, the British standard, um, does have a little bit more uh, sort of dialogue and discursive kind of guidance that's in it. So, so it's a little bit of more of the how-to type stuff as opposed to just the, the what you need to do. Um, so that, that would be useful. And again, like if you're aligned with any of the other British standards, then, then once again, that would make sense. Mm-hmm. And then for smaller organizations, I feel like that, that ResOrgs framework um, is a lot more sort of manageable and, and certainly the way they articulate it is in a lot more sort of layman's terms. So there's less of the, of the technical jargon that goes with it. And so for, for, for quite a lot of small to medium organizations, I feel like it's just a better play. So really it, is, it, it, it very much depends. It's situational. Um, I think from, from my standpoint, like it's wise to look at all of the frameworks and do an assessment before you actually choose mm-hmm. one. But I think you know, the argument was just pick one. And once you've picked it, then, you know, use that and, and help move forward with it. Right. Well, believe it or not, we have less than three minutes left. <laughs> Time goes by so fast. Do you have any closing comments or anything you would like to say uh, regarding um, organizational resilience and the, and the framework? Yes, I think, you know, from my standpoint, it is important. Um, definitely, like, you know, shop around for a paint framework, but pick one and go with that. I genuinely feel like uh, enterprise risk management uh, as a discipline is a really good place to start. So if you can if you can help define uh, your own sort of ERM frameworks and make sure that you can consider uh, organizational resilience as a as a as a as an objective for the use of that framework, I feel like that will really help get everybody sort of pulling on the on the same in the same direction. And certainly from my standpoint, I'm very, very keen to hear from any of your listeners and any practitioners that sort of work in this space and can share, uh, you know, examples of where they've had wins, where they've had wins of demonstrating sort of real value for their organizations of, um, of, of taking this sort of connected up uh, approach to, to resilience. Certainly that enables me to then help. Um, work with work with my clients and share those case studies. And thank you very much to you, Alex. I like, really appreciate the opportunity for uh, for being brought on. Oh well, you know, hey, a lot of great speeches at CRT, and I know yours was a, a popular one as well. And which is why you know it took a little while for us to uh, finally connect and get on the show. But I'm glad you were here and sharing some of these uh, uh, you know your viewpoints and some of your experiences and and helping move organizational resiliency forward. You know, I greatly appreciate your time here. Thanks a lot. And in saying that, I do want to thank Ed Force sharing his time. And to everybody listening, again, if there's any topics you want us to cover, please feel free, send me an email, and we'll see about getting you on the show or somebody else on the show. I want to thank everyone at BoastAssessment.com um, for allowing us to even have a show. And... Uh, Again, I may be at a CRT conference. Uh, maybe Ed will be there again. Who knows? 
uh, in Toronto next year, May 2020. So in the meantime, thanks, Ed. Thanks, Josh, our sound engineer. And in the meantime, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.